college, and and he he preached a sermon on the the will of God, and it really it changed my perspective basically on on my understanding of who God is, and and one of the things he said is is that we sometimes get caught up in this perfect ideal will of God. And that's what I used to believe, that God had this perfect will. And if I missed it, then I messed, I messed everything up. But what he helped me to understand is that if that's the case, it only takes one person to mess, up, mess it up for everybody. If I married the wrong person, then guess what? Everybody else marries the wrong person too. And so when he said that, it really helped enlighten my understanding. And so... He's going to come share a word with us this morning, and, and it's going to be, it should bless our hearts. So, Ken, will you come on up, please? I would like to praise the Lord this morning, especially since uh, the invitation of your pastor to be with you in your midst. He also assigned me a subject. (laughs) That, of course, is dangerous because you don't know where where I'm going. At any rate, it is the most uh, well-known verse in the New Testament. And of course, you know that what that is. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I remember a sermon once on this subject, and the first statement was, There is only one alternative to perishing. (gasps) And that's faith. Luke adds that repentance is in the same position. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Repentance and faith are like a one dollar bill. On the one hand you have the pyramid and the other one hand you had George Washington. Now I, if I give this uh, gentleman a one dollar bill, let me try to take it out of that, and I give him a George Washington and he turns it around and he doesn't see the pyramid, he knows it's counterfeit. Or if I show him The pyramid, and there is no George Washington, it is counterfeit. So faith and repentance always go together. So that is the first thing that we have to recognize. That without repentance and faith, there is only perishing. And now you understand why Jesus came. Because he does not want us to perish. And that is rooted in his love. And the pastor said to me, 
Why don't you preach about love? So I'm under authority, and that's what I'm doing, all right? Now, I believe that a message should be memorable. My dear brother pastor, if your messages are not memorable, then it was not a good sermon, all right? (laughs) Put a little pressure on him, all right? Uh, I had to learn that. This is my 50th year in the ministry. And the greatest joy I have is that when I see my old students, they say, I remember what you told me 40 years ago. I just rejoice in that. Now, when we talk about love, we're going to divide it in two sections. The first one is that love has three marks or three characteristics. We'll start there. And you get it all out of the text. And I read uh, more of the text as I, as we go. And then secondly, it has three elements. Now first of all, what are the characteristics of love? Well, first of all, it is unconditional. I did not uh, like the term for a long time because people uh, try to get away with murder. God loves me unconditionally. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's not the way it works. So that's why I didn't like the word unconditional. Finally, I came to the conclusion that it's not that God loves you as you are, I remember a lady who tried to tell me that. She was blind. Sweet as anything. And she would compose a song about the woman at the well. That the Lord loved her unconditionally. She accept, he accepted her as she was. And when she was finished, she looked at me with her blind eyes. I said, how did you like the song? And she hoped that I would say that was awesome. And I said, I, I couldn't say that because it was not totally awesome. <laughs> and I'd like to explain that to you. And I said, well, I know why you composed that song. Because you want to be accepted by the people in your blindness as Jesus accepted her. Her face, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, I don't mind if you sing that, but why don't you compose a second stanza? Because when she finally gives Jesus her emotions, he says to her, go call your husband. I don't have any. That's right, lady. You had five of them, and the man with whom you shack up is not your husband. And don't tell me that all those five have died. <gasps> so I said to her, he, accept, he loved her unconditionally, but he did not put up with her. In fact, he loved her in spite of her condition. And that is the definition of unconditional. God loves me in spite 
of what I am. And you understand, when I begin to get that, I am not saying, thank you, God. <laughs> you see, I don't do this anymore, you see. So, terminology is very important. My dear brother pastor, the first mistake that pastors make is that their messages are not memorable. The second mistake that pastors make is that they don't define their terms. So, now I've been at it for a little while, so I've read a lot of stuff, so what you're going to get from me is not all mine. But I've accumulated it. God loves me in spite of what I am. Now that's humbling, is it not? There's the first element. The second element is that God loves me anti-conditionally. Against my condition. If your son or your daughter is on drugs... And you love that son in spite of what he is. What do you want? You want that drug habit to leave. So you're going to go against the condition. That's my God. That's what he said to, to Jacob in the Old Testament. I'm going to fight you throughout the night. Because I'm against your condition. And when Jacob didn't want to yield, God said, let me go. You're useless. And then Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You see, there was a change in Jacob at that point. But God loves me unconditionally. And anti-conditionally, counter-conditionally, he wants me to get out of my self-destruction. He does not want me to perish. And then thirdly, the third element. He loves me and his love is reconditioning. Now, say now for instance, I like Volkswagen Beetles, alright? And by now, all the Volkswagen Beetles are wrecked virtually except the ones that have been uh, uh, um, manufactured in Brazil recently but all the old ones you know they are ready for the scrap heap but I love Volkswagen Beetles or Mercedes Benzes no longer Toyotas because they kill me okay okay I, I, lo I love Volkswagen Beetles in spite of the fact that it's going to go to the scrappy. But now I am against that scrap stuff. And by the time I am finished, it is totally reconditioned. And that's our God. Until we are in mint condition. And when it's our mother... You remember? We sang that? She is in mint condition in the presence of God. I uh, talked to a man in Uganda. He was a Dutchman, and I am Dutch. He didn't know that I was Dutch. He said, I'm so grateful that I am out of the church always sin. I cannot stand that any longer. My dad is still in it, but I'm thankful that my mother and I are out of it. 
Well, if you don't believe and you perish, there must be something wrong. All right? And we call it sin. And I said, uh, I use exactly the same example of the Volkswagen Beetle. What if you were an old Volkswagen Beetle ready to be scrapped? And all of a sudden, you are told that you can turn into a beautiful Mercedes-Benz. Now, they those cars are not as up in the United States, but in Europe, that's the top of the line. They said, would you like to turn into a Mercedes-Benz? And he said, yes! I said, well, that's the gospel. But if you don't know your uh, Volkswagen Beetle ready to be scrapped, then the promise, the solution of God, means nothing to you. Now, what is the problem? Well, it's very clear that our passage deals with three things. First of all, it talks about to become born again. you remember? And Nicodemus. Now, why does born again turn into faith? Born again in the first part of the chapter into faith in the latter part of the chapter. Well, I taught five times, four times through the book of John in my college, my Christian college, and finally I began to understand it because in the, the second chapter said, we, we believe, we believe. And Jesus says, wait a minute, is that faith real? He said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom and he cannot enter the kingdom. And it comes out of the book of Ezekiel. I'll take the heart of stone out of you and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, you need a heart transplant. The old heart does not see, is blind, and cannot enter. Now the Lord has a sense of humor because Nicodemus says, I know that you're a teacher from, come from God. And the first thing that Jesus does put his finger in the solar plexus and says, uh, incidentally, unless you're born again, you cannot see and you cannot enter. I am not a teacher who comes from God. I am God who comes to teach and to die for sinners. And unless the Holy Spirit gives you a new heart, you will never see. And seeing is believing. Aha! John 3 tells us, I am like the snake who is lifted up in the Old Testament. If you see, you live in the Old Testament. I won't go into the story because it will carry me too far. But here is a parallel. If you believe, you will not perish. But you will never believe unless God changes your heart. Because the heart is filled with blindness and filled with rebellion. And God loves me in spite of the fact that I have a rebel heart. Now, in Uganda, north of Uganda, there are rebels, Kony rebels. They are horrible. They kill, they murder, they cut members of your body, send it in the mail to the authorities. If you don't come our way, we're going to handle, handle you in exactly the same way. They defile, they rape. And the Bible says in humans that all the thoughts of their hearts are only evil continuum. He says, I don't like you. I'm sorry I made you. I'm going to wipe you out in the flood. If you and I had been living before the flood, we would have been wiped out too. 
it would have perished. And the only reason why Noah survived is because the Bible says he found grace with God. Now, after the flood, God says, I'm going to do something new. Business as usual is not going to do it. I'm going to do something new. I'm going to take the heart of stone out of you, give you a heart of flesh. I love you in spite of the fact that you have a rebel heart. And Psalm 58 calls it a cobra. Now, I don't like cobras. Do you? God does. He loves you. And cold. Isn't that amazing? He loves me in spite of what I am. And then the Bible says, I will be lifted up like the snake and the serpent in the desert. And if you look at me, you will live. Now, where was he lifted up? On the cross. What do you do on the cross? On the cross, he shed his blood. Now, why did he shed his blood? Because Ezekiel says, I do not only take the heart of stone out of you, give you a heart of flesh, but I wash you of all your filth and all your idolatry. The Bible says, your righteousness is like filthy rags. And the Apostle Paul says, My righteousness as a Pharisee was blameless, but when I saw God, I came to the conclusion that it was manure. And it's a very vulgar word in the New Testament. It is excrement. Now, do you love excrement? God does. Aha! And He says, I'm going to give you a new heart, you rebel. And I'm going to wash you, you pit latrine. Is what I said in Uganda. And one man said, came up to me and said, for the first time, I saw my sin and I saw my Savior. It was never the same. Now thirdly, later on in, the, in John 3, the Lord says, why don't they come to me? Because their deeds are evil. Their deeds are evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light and his deeds may be clearly seen that have been done in God. So you do not only have a problem with your heart, and in spite of it God loves you, you don't only have a problem with your past, in spite of it, God loves you, but you also have a problem with your life. The Old Testament says that our hearts are like a cobra. Paul says that our past is like excrement. And James says that our life is like poison in the tongue. Now, do you like poison? Do you love poison? God loves you anyway. Isn't that beautiful? I cannot begin to tell you what a joy I have that when God tells me I am perishing because I have three problems. I love you. 
and I'm going to recondition you. I'm going to give you that new heart. I'm going to give you that new righteousness. And I'm going to give you that new holiness. That's reconditioning. And finally, the Bible says, anti-conditional, reconditional, until you're a mint condition, and the greatest gift that I give you. Herein is the love of God perfected, First John tells us. So that we are like Jesus is. And that we have confidence in the day of judgment. Now, I'm not going to do the baptism, but uh, I think I may give you the example. If God loves coal, He gives coal a new heart that is filled with faith and repentance. And through faith and repentance, He is washed in the blood on the cross and out of the resurrection comes His new righteousness. And then the Holy Spirit comes within Him. And with His new heart that wants forgiveness and holiness and the Holy Spirit, He's going to be purposefully holy until in the presence of God, like Mother, He is in mint condition. Now, that didn't come to me overnight. It took years before God opened my eyes with what I call 2020 vision. And if it appears that I still don't have 2020 vision, I hope that He's going to give me even more. But I think now I saw men walking like trees at one time. But now there's a sharpness. God loves me in spite of the fact that I am unacceptable. Unconditional. He goes after me in an anti-conditional fashion. He does not put up with nonsense. And he says, by the time I'm finished, you are a Mercedes-Benz. And by the time you're in heaven, you are perfect. Now those are the three elements of love that are right out of John 3. A new heart and regeneration, we call it. A new righteousness and justification. And a new holiness and sanctification. Now that brings me to the second part of the message. What are the elements of love? And that really is amazing. Uh, Some people say love is not an emotion, it is not an action. And I saw a young a father talking to his son at the occasion of their marriage. I said, love is not an emotion, it is an action, young man. And the, the father was converted during my ministry in California. And I walked up to him and said, what kind of a nonsense is that? Of course love is an emotion. And you should tell him, you are very emotionally involved, young man. You better stay that way. Amen? Amen! Hallelujah! This man said to me that he comes to a church, a church, he says, there is no vibrancy emotionally the church. Oh. 
I, you know, I want you to clap. And then, you know what I mean? Emotionally, I hope your emotion to your wife will never die out. If they do, oh man, I pity the woman. Okay? <laughs> and I pity you twice. <laughs> you see, love is an emotion. Now, it's not an irrational emotion, you know. But there are no irrational emotions because every emotion has a rational base. So, it is nonsense to say love is not an emotion. And it's also nonsense to say love is just an action. Because I give my wife a flower every day. And I love her, right? Of course not. Because I know that with a flower, she makes a better dinner. <laughs> you see? So, an action doesn't mean that you love people. So, what is love? Love is a desire to be one with an object. That's what love is all about. Now, it's very interesting when I go into Africa. And I use Cole as an example, alright? Because he's going to be baptized... So love is a desire to be united. You grab the other side of the $5 bill. He loves money. You get it? Now, uh, he, he smiled already. The second element of love is that you are delighted when you are one with an object. Okay? All right, look. Now it's yours. Look at his face. Light up. Now you know what love is. And I don't think that Cole ever forgets this, right? Ever forgets that, okay? So, love is that you want to, de- de- want to be one with an object, that you delight when the unity, unity takes place. You remember when you got married? When she said, I do, oh, you are now one with your wife or your husband. You are delighted. And thirdly, you want to do anything to become one with that object and to remain one with that object. That's what love is all about in terms of its elements. And that's why John 17 says, I and my Father are one. Why? Because they love each other. Isn't that beautiful? And when you think of God, He loves me before the foundation of the world. In spite of what I am. And Spurgeon used to say, I am so thankful that He started to love me before the foundation of the world. Because if He had waited until after the fall, I don't think He would have done it any He wouldn't have started, you see. Now that's Spurgeon. Uh, uh, that's not necessarily Bible, but uh, I kind of like it. And uh, if you don't like it, it's fine. Because it doesn't come out of the Scriptures. You see, love to be united to me before the foundation of the world. That's why you call it an eternal love. And when I became a Christian, the Bible says, He rejoiced over me with rejoicing. That's delight. And when my son gave a testimony, I asked him to come along uh, this morning as well with this young man. But he said, well, my wife is in North Georgia and she asked me to join her. And I understand that she, he rather wanted to be united with his wife, <laughs> with his dad. All right. So he loved his wife more than he loved his dad, uh, in spite of what he may say. 
Uh, all right? So, so I have... That, that is wonderful. And when he gave his testimony, he said, when I came to know Jesus, the angels threw a party. That's delight. And in order to become one with me, he gave his only begotten son. Call, remember, you will never be one with God until you put your arms around Jesus in repentance because you know you have three problems and in faith because you want to have the three solutions. Incidentally, that is gospel preaching. I have a little girl, grandgirl, two years old. And I said, you have, this is how I evangelize. Give me a high five. And then I have their emotions. Give me a high three. And I have his mind. Now he's listening. As you have three problems, God has three solutions. I'll take the heart of stone out of you, give you a heart of flesh. I wash you of all your filth. I put the Holy Spirit within you and make you godly. You see? And it comes through Jesus. I give my old heart to Jesus and He kills it on the cross. I give my old past to Jesus and He washes it on the cross. I give my old life to Jesus and He eliminates it on the cross. Hebrews 10. And out of the grave, comes His heart and His righteousness and His holiness. And He actually gives it to me. And when I have His heart, I have the fear of God. When I have His righteousness, I have the peace of God. And when I have His holiness, I have the joy of the Lord, according to Psalm 85. It is awesome. So He gave everything me to be one with him don't tell me that was an easy thing I once asked the father would you like to give your son to save me and the father said forget it I said God did not forget it he did it and Satan did not believe how it was possible Satan said, the sinner will die, so ah, you may do with, with all those people you, what you want, but eventually it's going to be mine. What no eye had seen, what no heart has thought of, that God has prepared for them who love Him. If Satan had understood the meaning of the cross, he would have said to the Pharisees, whatever you do with Jesus, fine with me, but keep Him away from that cross. Because that is going to be my defeat. He didn't see it. He didn't know it. It was his greatest defeat. So I'm one. How do I stay one? When I repent and get the forgiveness of sins, he puts the Holy Spirit within me. And he keeps me with him. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is totally not totally, but to a great extent, misunderstood, neglected. The Father promises those three solutions. The Son produces them on the cross. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no delivery. Impossible. North of Uganda, there's a big church that had three openings in the roof for three iron sheets. And I said to them, what if I promise you to give you three iron sheets? Would you be happy? <gasps> yeah, it won't rain inside. 
But now where are you going to get the three iron sheets? There's no factory in the north of Uganda, but there is in Kampala. There's the factory. There's Jesus. But how do you get the sheets from Kampala to the north? You need to, to be delivered. It needs to be delivered. That's the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is not operational, you have nothing. You don't have... Because you're born again by the Holy Spirit. He seals your righteousness and He makes you holy. And now you understand what love is. I hope it's memorable. I hope you'll never forget it. I mentioned that to a son of a general in Uganda. And I said, the love of God, three solu- problem, three solutions. I said, oh. I told his dad, send him to my, my, uh, my office, my guest house, my room. He came. Three problems, three solutions. That's the love of God. Through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His eyes were still cold, dead. Send him again. No change. I dr- drove an hour into to, uh, to his high school. There he was standing. He said, remember, young man, junior, you have three problems and the love of God is God. He loves you in spite of it. He wants to reconcile. He's against it. Because it's your perishing. He wants to recondition you. His eyes may be opening up a little. And there were two Pentecostal girls who were cheering me on right next to me. And then I went home. And he was in a terrible accident. And his bodyguard soldier was killed. And he was lying there in the hospital knowing he should be dead. And he looked up to the ceiling. And guess what he saw? He saw Jesus for the first time. And he recognized. What am I going to do with my cobra heart? What am I going to do with my excrement past? What am I going to do with my poison life? Oh my God. And he fled to Jesus. And when I saw him again, he was a new creature. Two years later, he died because he was an epileptic. And it happened to be in the country and his dad said, come and preach the message. Who's who was there? He was a general, four-star general. The whole top brass of the army, cabinet ministers, members of parliament, because he was also a member of parliament, business people. And I said, do you really want a white man to preach this sermon? He said, you're his godfather. And you're a member of his family. My family, yes. How are you going to tell everybody that they have a cobra heart and an excrement pass in a poison life. I said, you know, I know that this young man, First Peter 1, is with Jesus. How do I know that? Because four times I told him. And I repeated it four times. And he fled to Jesus. He understood the immense love of God who wanted to be one with sinners. Who delights when sinners turn. And I was willing to do everything for them to do that and get that unity. And He loves them in spite of what they are. And He goes against their condition. He's willing to be angry about it. 
so that you wake up and you want to recondition you until you're in mint condition. At the end of the service, a man in a uniform came up to me and said to me, I want to talk to you. I said, I give me your phone. I said, I don't have any phone. A half hour later, give me your phone number. Oh, I don't have a phone number. Well, maybe my chief of staff. We got together and I said, who is that, that man? He's the commanding general in the army of Uganda. Ouch, I don't have a phone number. That was a mistake. Well, we met, and we have met several times. I believe that I told him the problems. I believe that he fled to Jesus. But I was not quite sure. And when I was in Uganda in January, I phoned him. And he said, where are you? I said, well, I'm at the same time you are. Come for breakfast. And I'm not a conversationalist in little things. When you get me going on the gospel, I wake up. And I said to him, Flee to Jesus. And then I said something that I never said before. I'm willing to die for your salvation. Well, an army man knows what that means. Because he was in the people's war against the government. He saw his buddies killed. And he said, Dr. Henry, the peers my heart. You cannot evangelize. Now, I cannot die for you. Right? I cannot get the wrath of God away from you by dying. I cannot suffer. But, but I cannot suffer and die for the propitiation, the removal of God's wrath. I can suffer and die for propagation. Like a mother, a woman suffers to produce children. That's what Paul says, death in me and life in you. And I said to the general, I'm willing to die for your salvation. Two days later, I was in the middle of nowhere with my little cell phone. I don't have an American cell phone, but I have a Ugandan cell phone. And... Uh, <laughs> If I want to phone him, I forget this phone number. I turn it on. Ah, I know the phone number. And he phoned me. Private number. Maybe him. He, it was him. I want to see how you're doing. Now, top general is not going to talk to a little peon like me. Unless somehow God has opened the eyes. I want you to pray for him. I want you to understand, and I want you never to forget what the love of God is all about. God loved, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that everyone who would believe on Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Without Him, you are perishing, folks. Make sure you recognize that. I said, well, if I perish with a cobra heart and an excrement past and a poisoned life, nobody's going to love me. That's right. Nobody. Except the infinite God. And he says, but I'm against you. 
I'm your friend, the enemy. Until you see that you need to be sanitized. And I'm going to put you in mint condition. <gasps> Volkswagen Beetle ready to be junked. Against the scrap stuff. Turns into a Mercedes Benz. That's the love of God. How do, why does he do that? You remember the three marks? How do you do that? Three elements. He wants to be one with me. I cannot believe it. And when I'm one with him, he throws a party. And he's willing to give up everything for that unity, union to take place. His son. And for that union to remain Holy Spirit. And that is awesome. Amen? Is that awesome? And if I really believe it's awesome, you know what I tell people? I'm willing to die for you to get the same thing. And then people don't do it I believe they don't think it's really awesome. Eh, one of those things. Why would I die? Eh. But if you recognize it's the only alternative to perishing, and I don't want you to perish, that's what you're going to say. And I hope and pray there's a congregation you will say that in this neighborhood. And if you do, I believe God's going to fill this building. If you don't, business as usual. It's not going to work. Paul. Paul. I want to know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I want to snuggle up to suffering as a little girl snuggles up to a little doll under the blankets and mother puts her to bed. Why? I'm willing to snuggle up to death. Why? Because without it, you don't get life. Unless a seed dies, it will not produce fruit. If it suffers a little, it produces a little fruit. If it suffers a little more, it produces a little more fruit. When it dies, it produces much fruit. Herein is the love of God perfect in me that I actually come to the point that I'm willing to die for you. That is the love of God coming to fruition in me and through me in you. Thank you, sir, for asking me to speak about the love of of God this morning. I hope it is memorable. But beyond that, I hope that you experience that love in the heart of Jesus and in the righteousness of Jesus and in the holiness of Jesus. I don't know where you are. I don't know whether you're saved or not. But I pray to God 
If you say to yourself, but I don't have that, flee to the love of God. And He will give that to every one of us. And we will not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me pray. Our Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for John 3. I have to admit that when the pastor asked me to speak about the love of God, and I thought of John 3.16, I was not quite sure what was going to come out of it. But when I saw the text, and I saw all the elem, the marks of love, and I saw the elements of love, I praise you, O God, and I ask you in the name of Jesus that the love of God will always remain in our heart and that we are standing in awe before that love which is unconditional, anti-conditional, reconditioning, that wants to be one with us, that delights when that unity is accomplished and is willing to pay any and every price for that union to be achieved and to remain. In Jesus' name, Amen.